This episode is brought to you by my wonderful patrons. I'd like to give special shout outs to my top tier patrons, David from Portland, Tom from Pancake Analytics, the Snorlaxian, Connor from Rock Pokemon, Mike, Night Knight, Hogan, Big No Face, and Matt from Ferraratron. I also can't forget today's episode was executive produced by Leo. Thank you so much for believing in me and backing the podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast and you'd like to support these episodes, become a patron. I have two tiers at $3 and $5 a month. Joining the first tier gives you exclusive access to patron posts and a vintage card from my collection signed by me. The $5 tier gives you access to everything you get in the $3 tier, along with also having access to our Discord community. It gives you the opportunity to talk to other collectors, discuss market performance and news, show off your mail days, and of course, ask questions. Whether you join or not though, I still appreciate you listening. If you haven't already heard, I've been working on a passion project called Cardfolio. It is going to be an app that'll let you scan your cards onto your phone and add them to your virtual binder. Your virtual binder allows you to keep track of not only what you own, but you'll also be able to keep track of what you need. Are you chasing a shadowless master set like me? Cardfolio will keep track of your progress towards your goals so that it makes it easier to achieve. But Cardfolio doesn't just catalog your collection and manage your collecting goals. It will also allow you to see your collection like an investment portfolio. This means you'll be able to see how much your collection is worth, how that value has changed over time, and how your collection value breaks down by item type. For example, how much your raw, slabbed, and sealed sections of your collection is worth. Now, if all of that sounds like an app you would download, then join my early access list. I'll keep you up to date with app progress, mockups, and when early access is available, you'll have download access. If you would like to join, the link is in the description, so sign up for early access today. Hello, my friends, and welcome to the Geeked Out Collecting Podcast, where we apply financial and investing principles to our favorite hobby collectibles like Pokemon, Magic the Gathering, Fortnite, comic books, you name it, we talk about it all. I am your host, Jess, and welcome to today's episode where I brought on RJ to the show. I really enjoyed having him on because this is something a little bit different, something that I haven't really gone into, and that is video games. And I think if you've been a long-term listener, I've kind of brought this up with a few other guests to try and see if I can get as much information as I can because video games is such an interesting market and it's kind of exploded over the past few years. I mean, as far as when I started becoming aware of it and in in video game selling for thousands of dollars and 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 video games being worth that money because it's graded and it's sealed and that's all just been something really interesting to me because of course like I've been a gamer since I was three years old I think the first set or the first um you know system I had was the NES playing Mario you know so uh it was really great to have RJ on because he is a vintage video game collector he doesn't do as much of the grading of the video games but he was still a pleasure to talk with because I was able to, you know, learn more about that market and how to kind of move within that market with some good tips for starting out for anyone who is interested in buying video games. I know for myself, I am keeping an eye out on the vintage niche small horror games 
that aren't quite, I guess, vintage if they're from PlayStation or PlayStation 2. I'm not too sure. Anyways, I have my eye on on all of the Resident Evil games, all of the niche games like of Rule of Rose or Kuan, all of those weird obscure ones. So anyways, that's what I'm keeping track of. But but anyways, I digress. RJ was great to have. Um, I think, you know, regardless of how you collect or where you collect, I think you'll find this conversation to be really interesting. And maybe you, if you aren't already, you might start collecting video games. If you do, hit me up on Instagram. I'm curious to know what you're collecting, how you've gone about it, how it's been for you, and uh, we'll go from there. But anyways, thank you so much for being here today and welcome RJ. That's a world that I'm I'm not that versed in because I didn't have mm -hmm. I had platformers growing up. I think that my only RPG like when I was a kid, uh, like the closest I got was my cousin had this game called Uncharted Waters, which is sort of like a yeah like pirate merchants type RPG. Like it was historical, um, uh -huh. and I remember trying to play that in college when I was getting back into things, and I was like. I couldn't, I couldn't make it like one calendar month in game, <laughs> like, you know, and then I, I went on game facts and downloaded this 78 page, you know, walkthrough. And I was like, wow, <laughs> like there is some depth here. And, uh -huh. you know, it, it, it's, it's amazing how deep and just rich that world is and it's just sitting there right like it's like you can tap it's into it whenever there, yeah. but it's just it's just sitting there right now gosh do you remember the days where you had to like if you needed a walkthrough on a game you'd have to go to the store and spend 30 bucks now you could just go to ign.com or anywhere else yeah. anywhere yeah. anywhere and I get walkthroughs i think it's so gosh it's so funny to think how gaming really has changed so fundamentally in so many different ways um yeah <laughs> because like if you were so like when i was a kid i also had like the brick game boy and we were playing the old zelda games like you couldn't really get help on like you had to figure it out unless you're willing to dish out 30 or 50 bucks on a walkthrough like right. you had to to slug through it um would you consider yourself like a completionist where you got to get all the achievements everything i don't think so no, mm -hmm. I think, um, in fact, when, if I need to look up any walkthroughs, mm -hmm. I'm definitely scrolling to the bottom and looking at the cheat codes too. <laughs> <laughs> See, my thing, my thing is because, you know, because I'm a very, I'm very big on aesthetics. I come from fine art worlds. Like mm -hmm. I want to see a game, you know, I don't necessarily, I don't need to conquer a game. I need to see a game. Mm -hmm. So. I, and that's why I think I love watching YouTubers so much that play games because they do all the work and I get to do <laughs> all the, I can soak it all in. Um, mm -hmm. and, I, and I think about the games that I played growing up, like Sonic, um, that had these really beautiful backgrounds. And, you know, I think about it and I'm like, wow, that was like my first exposure to like, like art in a way. Like, huh those were like, you know, made by people that, you know, were, were taking pride in every pixel, like every color and, 
you know, like cartoons, comics, video games. That was my my first exposure to art, really. And, you know, now I take a game and I rate it first on how beautiful it looks and, and then mm-hmm. second how it plays, which is definitely opposite for most people. But just because of who I am, you know, that's always that's always primary for me. So mm-hmm. achieving things, heck yeah. I was playing um, uh, Pilot Wings Resorts, which is which is like a um, like a, you look like a, a Wii character and you're like flying airplanes and hang gliders all around this <laughs> island on the DS. Uh-huh. And it's it's a beautiful game, but I was like, oh, I need to like at least get to you know gold level or whatever. And that was like the first time in, in a little while where I was like, no, I'm not done quite yet. I feel like I can do this. I feel like I can, t- I can take care of this level. I feel like I can do this. Um, that was a case of a game being both beautiful and I was absolutely hooked on it. So um, that's, that's kind of where that comes in. I think playing a lot of racing games, you definitely do get to a point where if you play all the tracks, you've seen everything. So it's easier to kind of just let a game sit after playing it for a week um mm-hmm. so i think that comes down to preference if i was more into rpgs if i was more if i was more of a platform gamer like i played those every week then i think i would definitely be a lot more um you know mission based and task based when i play it um but that's just kind of you know it's all just based on what you play and how you play it mm-hmm. yeah that that really makes sense and like I, I love that you are a racing gamer because yeah. I picture you like getting super hardcore with it and like having like the pedals with the <laughs> stick and the clutch and the wheel. Like, do you have that kind of setup? Not yet. Not yet. Um, I, I saw in, where was I? I think I was in New York City a, a couple summers ago and I was walking by trying to remember what what even type of place it was oh it was a um they had like formula one race cars inside like it wasn't open to the Mm. public i don't know if it was like just some collector or who was it but it was someone related to formula one and they had like inside on the ledge near the window um a steering wheel like an actual steering wheel a helmet then like this you know, video game controller that was the the steering wheel, the pedals, the whole setup, and mm-hmm. just seeing it in context with real racing things, I was like, "Oh, that's pretty cool!" Like, <laughs> like that's <laughs> that's, awesome. that's unique, yeah. Uh-huh. Um, but I'm not quite at that point. I I did know a few people who were into like actually racing cars, like in oh. circuits and stuff. Like, like they they were. Um, like they would use like Forza and what's the other one? iRacing um, mm-hmm. as actual simulations to like actually practice. So they had all those setups. And I nice. remember being like, wow, that's pretty crazy. <laughs> I never got to play any of them, but I know like you can dump so much money, so much money. <laughs> Um, you know, that's funny that you say that because my brother, who is a big computer guy, he has, first off, he has three, like, 26-inch monitors. So anyways, okay. picture picture that, first off. And then now picture 
an eye tracker, a steering wheel, the pedals, the stick shift, and he's playing a truck simulation. Uh, yes. He's taking that to play a truck simulation. So he's got like the sides where he could see outside, like the passenger and the driver's side windows. I love that. And he's driving and he's like, you know, it, it, he's going cross country in Europe and here in the US. I'm watching him and I have a little bit of PTSD because he's actually gotten into a few accidents in his truck where he's like rear ended people and like took a turn too fast and oh, tipped no. over. And I'm like, dude, oh, no. like, what the hell it's so funny but but like <laughs> like with the eye tracking too i'm like dude what are you doing right now this is you're doing you're doing too much like i know for a truck simulation i don't get you <laughs> he's funny like that he he liked to try try like new things and you know like what i was saying before is he he buys specific like old school playstation consoles because we're mm -hmm. like we we have some of the Xboxes, um, like the Xbox One and the 360 and whatnot, you know, because you gotta you gotta have them for certain games like Halo. Yeah. I, I actually like we were the family where we did PlayStation and then had Xbox for Halo. Like that's, that's how <laughs> that's how it we rolled. So everything was PlayStation and then Halo Xbox. So um that's literally the only reason why I would buy the new Xbox is for the new Halo game. But sure. um but, um, you know, what's so one thing that I wanted to ask you, because like we're talking about like peripheries and like consoles and what it was just always so curious to me, at least initially coming in. Um, and I think I know the answer, but I'm curious to get your thoughts on it. Why aren't old school consoles more costly like the NES, the SNES, like even the Atari? Like, why aren't those consoles and I'm thinking maybe it's supply and demand. Like there's not enough demand for that to, and there's too much supply. So that was like maybe obviously my first thought on that. But like when I was younger, those things were so coveted to me as a kid. And so now in my head, I've got it like, well, anything that's old, you know, is going to be worth more. But it surprisingly isn't. Like you can get consoles for really cheap like the uh playstation 2 that you got for 13 bucks like why why aren't they well i think there's an interesting dynamic that exists when a new console comes out it immediately cheapens previous console especially mm -hmm. if they're especially if they're related so the ps2 immediately cheapened the playstation 1 mm -hmm. ps3 immediately cheapened the ps2 now we're in a day and age where there are ps5s and that's what makes a PS2 $13 at a thrift store. Mm -hmm. um, and add to that fact that, yeah, they were made <laughs> by the thousands upon thousands, maybe millions, right? So mm -hmm. um, it's definitely not a supply thing. Um, so I think those two factors in, in conjunction with each other definitely, definitely create that sort of, yeah, you know, it is, it is. It's like a perplexing thing. Why is this thing that was like you look at prices for you know, we obviously we keep coming back to the Genesis because that's where I started, but like you look at where they launched, like the prices for that, and it's like very much close to what consoles are coming out for, you know, now or at least recently, right? Mm -hmm. Um and it's just a matter of I think also too, you gotta think about it like like they're like a vessel right so mm -hmm. 
if you just have that unit by itself, you can't really do a whole lot with it. You need the game. True. You need you need that that thing that it's made for. Um, and so I think that kind of plays a little bit into it too. I mean, definitely mm-hmm. you have your, your you have your special editions and all that stuff. Um, but really, the the consoles that sell at like a premium and are like holy grail consoles are ones that didn't even make it to market (laughs) like i was gonna say those prototypes yeah yeah like those are those are what if you're gonna collect consoles and you're collecting them for value and and long-term investing like you're going after prototypes you're not going after base consumer stuff um the one that comes to mind is a lot of you know it's funny a lot of nes stuff has big numbers right now um nintendo did a i forget what it's called i want to say it's like a mark ii or something like that i don't know how many exist but i did see it i use price charting a lot to see Mm -hmm. game values and um when you go to price charting you go to nes and you just start there and go highest to lowest i think it's like third on their ranking list um it's funny it looks like something that should be like in like the NASA 1960 like <laughs> exhibit in Cape mm-hmm. but it's like this NES prototype that just didn't make it, you know, or just didn't get very far, but it's mm-hmm. somehow out there. Um, and then I think there was a PlayStation Nintendo combo that was. That's like, the one that I'm thinking of. It's like yeah. that prototype where it's got like Nintendo controllers, something weird and funky. It went yeah. for like 300,000 like plus something like that yeah. some crazy yeah that's that's really interesting because there was only like like only a few of the execs had it or something like it, it like and, and they and they took it they took it from production lines or something like that like yeah. Yeah. they weren't supposed to have it <laughs> right yeah another funny interesting like like that somebody who's not supposed to have something is um i think it was the star Fox. okay so um there were Nintendo liked to do tournament events to promote games. So they did one for Star Fox. And Mm -hmm. the whole thing was tournaments would happen at like Toys R Us or um, KB Toys or something like that. Mm -hmm. And then after the event, the, the toy stores were supposed to send these cartridges that were just made for that event back to Nintendo. But there would be employees that wouldn't send it back and they would keep the keep the cartridges so mm-hmm. you see those i think they're mostly yeah obviously like super nintendo um but another tournament cartridge since we're talking about it is um they had the nintendo world championships in 1990 mm-hmm. and um those cartridges are crazy money and it is because like they were only given the finalists and like the cartridges themselves that were used for that tournament um like they far outweigh the prizes that were given to the actual winners of those tournaments and it's just so funny to like read about it like you know a a cartridge that was just meant for this tournament that you know had three games on it and a timer switch like that is like the grail of nes cartridges 
and um, there's like two variations. There were the gray ones that just look like your standard gray NES cartridges. Mm -hmm. And um, there were gold ones, but the gold ones were never used for the tournament. The gold ones were given away as part of like a Nintendo Power Magazine contest. Um, so those ones are like even fewer in existence, I believe. Um, but like th those are the cartridges that, you know, if you look for Holy Grail. NES cartridges, that's where you'll get directed <laughs> to first, is these tournament cartridges that weren't even meant to be sold or meant to be played. <laughs> you know, you know what's you know what's funny? I so I just put into Google, I just put in Nintendo uh tournament cartridges, and literally mm -hmm. the first thing that pops up on eBay, there is a WADA 5.0 gold cartridge. And it's it's on there for a million dollars. Wow. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like I don't, I don't, I don't know what the pricing looks on that. I don't know if that's too high or not. But like that's crazy. Wow. And the and the only other game I can think of that had that gold cartridge was the Zelda game. Right. Yeah. And I can't remember which one it was. Shit, because there's so many. I yeah. freaking forget. But I, I had no idea that that they also did something similar to like what they did with Pokemon cards, you know, tourney winners would get these specialty, you know, cards like for their um, um, like competitive um, like bracket, like the, their yeah. bracket or whatever. I was actually just having a conversation with David person who right now has like the entire collection of those cards, like right when they first started doing that tournament. And so that's like a really expensive collection but like he's also has he's the only one that has the complete one if i'm not mistaken so that's really really interesting um and, and i mean i guess that goes back to like these random little pockets of rarity like what you were saying with with video games which is really interesting and i think like if anyone is trying to get into the investment side of a collectible like you really need to do your research because like these facts aren't just known. Like you really have yeah. to dig into these moments in time where they were truly rare. I mean, I'm looking at right now, um, Jeremy Padauer, you know, someone that I had on uh, before on my podcast, he's really great. Um, he had, he put up an article on LinkedIn and he talked about, you know, the 10 collectibles with explosive upside potential. And the first one that showed up was graded video, vintage video games and consoles and mm. the and he has a picture of um a nintendo nes deluxe set um oh, yeah. that that that's completely sealed and and according to this back in 2018 which like to me seems like a very early time and and, and correct me if i'm wrong but that seems like a very early time within vintage gaming like collecting grading it went for 25k which wow. is like yeah insane to me yeah. so so i guess like even though you know like what we were just talking about there were a lot of things that were manufactured to oblivion there aren't that many consoles that are really you know you know that are going to cost you an arm and a leg but there are some and like what yeah. you were saying these prototypes and I, I i don't know the backstory of this guy right here i don't know i don't know what the story is on that but but I, I, I wonder if it's something similar to that. Prototypes, tourney, gifts, da-da-da-da-da, anything yeah. like that. 
Yeah, and also too, what you see a lot with with gaming is sometimes the rarity isn't necessarily in the item itself, but it's in the condition that it's in. So, mm. Because if you think about it, a lot of games um, <laughs> were you know given to kids on Christmas morning, and they were ripping it out of the box as fast as they can to shove the cartridge as hard as they could into their Nintendo, into their Sega, and then hundred percent. You know, mom or dad was cleaning up the the wrapping paper and out goes the box you know mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. a lot of times it's not so much the item how rare the item is but how rare it is in its condition and um that that's the challenge versus actually hunting the game down because like we said if a game sold and a game was doing well they would produce a ton of them and even and even so i think nintendo the nes i'm pretty sure the the starting like quantity that they would produce a game for was always i think like ten thousand copies they always started with that mm-hmm. or something like that um mm-hmm. so you kind of know that if a game has made it to this point it's not because there's only 20 of them <laughs> like we said about <laughs> that one rare olympic game or whatever you know um mm-hmm. so I, I i see that more often than i see a game that's actually rare i just see the condition that it's in Mm-hmm. That that makes so much sense because that reminds me of like the e-reader cards. Um, you know, so Aquapolis, Sky Ridge, some of um, what's the setup that Ruby and Sapphire, I think it was. And and those cards are interesting because it's very hard to find them in good condition because everyone was swiping them on their e-reader when they were playing the game. I can't remember what console it was for. Um, I'm sure someone in the chat had it at some point. I didn't. I like, like when, when the Game Boy Color came out, that was like the last Game Boy I had. And then I switched to the Switch. <laughs> like, yeah. like, so I went, I went through all that time without having a Nintendo uh, game console like that. But Anyways, yeah, so like those cards are hard to find because people were actually playing with them, which is yeah. like how it should be, right? Expedition, right. that's what it was. So Okay, yeah. So so yeah, so I I mean that, that completely makes sense that, you know, the rarity is also a very key factor. Scarcity and and rarity of the things. Um so, you know, I I'm really curious from your perspective. Um are there like some pockets of like the video game market that are undervalued that that would be good like um you know if you've gotten the games that you want and and you started playing around with that and now you're looking into maybe the more graded games like are there any pockets that you find to be really interesting that seem undervalued to you yeah i think where i where i would you know would start is make sure you have all your bases covered on those big franchises Um, Mm -hmm. because there are always games that may have slipped through the cracks like when when there's a franchise that gets 20 games on on a console you know there's always like three or four that you know had to be in last place as far as how Mm -hmm. well they sold at the time that now in a in a perfect condition would be like an excellent thing to have you know i think a lot of like movie franchises and stuff that stuff's like cyclical so like if you see like for example now you know mortal kombat movies coming out so Mm -hmm. now there's some buzz around mortal kombat but if you can kind of get ahead of that curve and be like oh there's a movie for mortal kombat coming out in five years six years and you kind of get that first whiff that first rumor and then you say, 
wouldn't be a bad idea to get Mortal Kombat CIB right now, you know? Mm-hmm. That's kind yeah. of like a quick strategy, I think. I mean, is it foolproof? I don't think so, but like it's definitely like at least you have some grounds and some reasoning for making that move. Um, so that that's actually something that I would would start with is sort of like pay attention to what's going on in other media and other mm-hmm. and other you know i think sometimes it's just it's so easy to stay within your world like within just gaming within just card collecting or comics and you don't realize that all those other areas contribute like mm-hmm. we're sort of on a tree we're not like separate <laughs> you know we're not separate plants in a garden we're all kind of part of the same tree we're just different branches of it you know and that's so, so true so that's where I kind of see like if if you looking for like something that's kind of undervalued, look to those other areas and kind of see what's going on there, and then mm-hmm. sort of take your cue from that. Mm-hmm. That's that's really you know that reminds me a little bit of like comic books because I remember like a few years ago I bought like this slab of the first issue of Miss Marvel where Kamala Khan is first is the first marvel i'm like oh this is really cool this is this is like very neat i just bought it to buy it and then how many months ago like maybe eight months ago or whenever they announced that tv show for kamala khan you know now we're seeing a little bit more you know all of a sudden that thing popped like double triple and i'm like i did not do that on purpose but it would be great if i could do that again Yeah, yeah it was really great and i think so so kind of like to, to add to what you were saying, I think, and, and you kind of alluded to this in so many words, but, you know, it is risky to do that 100%. But if you do things to like mitigate your cost and, you know, just, just again, trying to like assess maybe, you know, where the highs and the lows of something, like if you just make sure you don't buy when it's too high, when you, when you don't panic buy, right? Because you think, because other people will possibly, you know, get in on that strategy and that's fine. But again, I think if you buy at the right price, like the risk is not there, you know, like, and if you're into it, what do you have to lose like, if it doesn't pan out? You know, if you're, if you're mm-hmm. into the genre of what you're buying or, you know, like, and at the end of the day, you're buying a video game for a console that you're into. Like, obviously, if it's sealed and you're trying to keep it sealed, of course. But the cool thing about, you know, uh-huh. this, the CIB route is that, you know, you still have access to the cartridge, you know, or, or the disc or whatever it may be. Um, so there are, you know, definitely benefits, too, if it doesn't pan out mm-hmm. the way you want it to exactly. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. 100%. And you, or if you invest in a collection that you love, I mean, whether it works out or not, like you still have something you love, which is exactly what you were saying. Um, so, you know, one thing that I think like I'm very, so I know what I would do from like a grading card, like a, like a trading card perspective, but I'm curious when it comes to grading games, and I don't know if you've gotten anything graded, um, but like, how do you kind of go about doing that? Right. Because you, okay. So you've been keeping an eye on finding sealed games and you find a few here and there, you know, what's worth getting graded and what's not like, how do you determine that? 
Yeah, that's like uh, <laughs> that's a big question in gaming because if you mm-hmm. you you look at what's you know just a quick trip on eBay and it can be very overwhelming very quickly. <laughs> um, <laughs> right. And so and so I I think like I said earlier, if you start with what you love and what you want to commemorate, no matter what the number comes out to be, you're still. Mm-hmm you're still happy, like you're still content because you're commemorating the game. You're commemorating mm. an experience. Um, you know, I, it, 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 well, the thing is too, it's just so expensive to get things graded. Like yeah. even, even that is just a huge hurdle in, its, in itself. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think it's, it's harder for people who have uh, a taste for the more obscure stuff because there might not be a precedent for how well a graded copy of a game in that genre, whatever it may be, could go for mm-hmm. if there aren't many of them out there, if any. Um, so that's why I take that sort of let it come to me approach um, mm-hmm. be- because it's such a hard thing to navigate and get a pulse on. And I think right now it's kind of in sort of like this tornado um i think definitely the traffic from the trading card world has contributed to the uptick in the video game world because collectors are moving while they're waiting for their cards to come back they're moving into video games and Mm -hmm. which is awesome and i'm thrilled about it um but it also creates sort of just sort of this wave where you're like okay what what happened today that was different from (laughs) yesterday right and it it can be tricky, and so I don't have I don't have all the answers on that just because it's it's something that is still kind of to a lot of gamers new, you know the mm-hmm. YouTubers that I follow who have like big big numbers of subscribers, you know grading isn't really forefront in, in a whole lot of their content, you know it's usually supplemental, you know, mm-hmm. um, so that is something I think the gaming world is still embracing. And like I said, I think it's more of an act of commemorating things than it Mm. is an immediate, you know, let's get this game to get it to, or, you know, to to get it graded and to move it, you know, it just doesn't happen as frequently. There's definitely, like, I've definitely been followed by accounts that on on Instagram that are just about graded games. Um, And there's a few of them, like, there's not a ton, and that's why I kind of notice, but... um, Mm -hmm. I think we're starting to see it be, start to take root for sure. And I'm probably, if you asked me in a year's time, you know, have you developed any strategies? I'd probably say, heck yeah, because <laughs> it's been a year <laughs> and now this is like here to say, and it's a big deal. Um, mm-hmm. As of right now, it's still like a young thing. And I think a lot of people are still figuring it out because like I said, there's so many different elements at play with gaming. I think there's so many different angles to take and time's only going to tell what's really going to be the the tried and true way of doing it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, you know, that makes a whole lot of sense. And, and it's a little bit different with like grading a video game, like what you were saying, all of the edges, all of the sides, all of the corners, you know, th- there's a lot that probably goes into it that makes, you know, grading video games probably harder and that makes sense to me and then also the other thing too is like so I was reading an article about encapsulating the video games and I think so I don't I don't know this to be true and and if you know definitely like 
clue us in because I have no clue what's right or wrong. But like someone was saying how when video games are encapsulated, it's like encapsulated with argon. And so some games, like certain types of cartridges or whatnot, over over time, like they will start to malfunction on the inside. So if you're trying to actually like preserve a cartridge, um, encapsulating it and getting it graded isn't the best thing for it. I don't know if you know anything. Do you know anything about that? If that's real no, or not? That's, you know, I've heard a ton about like anti-piracy things. Um, mm-hmm. Like I had heard about one uh publisher that like i think if you were to if you were to play a game in another region like you were able to hack it or whatever Mm -hmm. they made they made it so that the game was actually like three times harder (laughs) like you could still play it but it was really hard like i Uh i I just you know i heard in a podcast and i was just like oh that's kind of cool um obviously never thought i would i would ever tell anyone about it so i was like would have listened a little bit more intently but um (laughs) i've heard about that stuff you know like yeah like anti-piracy stuff um and obviously batteries going bad but that's just kind of like that's just kind of the simple technology just like yeah you know as as (laughs) as like like, chemically you know (laughs) that's just that that's wild no i did not i did not Mm -hmm. know that Oh, okay. Yeah, you know, it's just, it, that's just a part of it where I'm like, oh, this could be fake news. I don't really know. But, sure. um, it, you know, I, I don't know. I was just, I was just kind of curious because, because, um, I mean, at least with cards, you know, cards can still kind of get damaged, you know, when they yeah. are encapsulated. So it's not like the end all be all like way to preserve some, preserve a card, even though it's like probably one of the best ways. Um, but yeah, I was just curious how how it was for video games because I mean you, you're thinking about you know all these different cartridge types like CDs like does a CD go bad over time? I don't I don't even know. Yeah, they haven't yet, right? <laughs> I, I know, right? Like like I still have my old stuff when I was a kid, so I think that should be good. But like the old Atari games, like like those are the oldest cartridges I could think of, and do they work? Like 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 just blowing into the cartridge over time like you know mess something up and then so yes. you can't use it it does it does okay yes. confirmed no moist no yeah no spit no water they say um alcohol or windex is the way to go really um, yeah, okay because that that is a cleaning agent that dries the fastest um uh okay you know, it dries like instantaneously versus water that like sits and stuff for a while. Even though I, when I was all through the nineties, was blowing on my <laughs> cartridges, blowing into the consoles. Uh-huh. Yeah. 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 They say that, that was no go, but, but every cartridge that I have, from, I, I do not have one cartridge that I'm sorry. I have one cartridge that has gone bad with a bad ba- battery. And it was, a, oh, okay. it was a casino game for the game boy so it's mm-hmm. not it's not a a, a hard loss um <laughs> that that's really the only the only malfunctioned cartridge i have so i think mm-hmm. sort of that fear um can be a little bit mitigated if people are nervous about cartridges it's mm-hmm. not as commonplace as you think and for the most part you can get the you can get another cartridge <laughs> and, and be yeah. okay if that rarity happens to you Mm -hmm. yeah another reason to prioritize preserving games and making them accessible for people 
because this is this is hardware at the end of the day, not software, and it does have a physical life to it. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, oh yeah, absolutely. Um, one hundred percent agreed. Which, like you know, if you keep it graded, you never get to play it. But you know, okay. So what's the best way to keep your cartridges and your hardware safe? Yeah. Um, what I do is I keep all my so it's kind of behind me it's hard to see i actually got filing cabinets like from staples <laughs> and i put <laughs> all my games in there so i know that you know it's fireproof you know obviously there's fireproof safes and stuff like that like i mean in a real disaster i probably would be in trouble to <laughs> other <laughs> factors um, right but i i know for the most part like i can at least rest easy like leaving you know, for long periods of time because they're in solid, sturdy containers, metal containers. Um, that's sort of like a good thing for storage. And then as far as actual like care, um, you know, I, I had asked when I got my Retron, and I was getting back into collecting all these cartridges. I asked the guy working at the retro game shop, I said, what's the best way to clean cartridges? And he said, take a Q-tip with some Windex. That's what we do here. I'm like, okay. I've done okay. that since. And it's been it's been great. Obviously, I keep like a, a canister or that can aerosol duster stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that works fine too. Um, but, you know, because especially when you buy games from non-gaming stores, you're going to uh-huh. get some grimy games. You know, not necessarily like, really bad but you're going to get games that haven't been cleaned at all and Mm -hmm. you know you want to be equipped for that when it comes in because you're going to want to play the game obviously right away Um, oh for sure so that's yeah i mean it's kind of you know it's pretty straightforward obviously there are some things that are going to be out of your control if if you know you're in a a risk situation and just like any other possession that you have um but to keep yeah keep things out of dust or away from dust obviously keep things clean um and um heat too yeah like i i made sure like you know the apartment i now doesn't have like built-in air conditioning so get an air conditioner unit to keep i mean obviously you would know from cars like you know almost everything is susceptible to humidity and so yeah it, it's very important to reduce that element um, because that could be like a, a, a very <laughs> like under the radar <laughs> threat. Um, oh my God. Yeah. You so, come back 10 years later and it just, oh, yeah. yeah. And that's, and that's why a lot of, that's why a lot of games you can get, like you can find a CIB game that has stood the test of time. It's still alive, but it was in an attic. And so mm-hmm. the box is like curled, <laughs> you know, you know, it's just like humidity it'll it'll get you <laughs> so so cib what does that mean oh complete uh, inbox oh okay okay cool gotcha yeah, so um some people might include that being sealed but the way that price charting what i use for valuing games has rated new cib or complete they call it and then loose and that type and that kind of goes down from um, oh, so yeah, gotcha. CIB is complete in box, and that typically means you can access the game. Um, it's not sealed, but mm-hmm. all the components are there, the manuals with it. 
that type of thing. Okay, that that makes sense. So then, like, as far as the modern games, like, so with the modern games and with how not rare <laughs> they yeah. are because of how many are being made, like, what are your thoughts on hanging on to those, like, sealed? Because one thought, like, and I was talking to Connor about this the other day because I think this is what he did. Like, the Pokemon Snap game just came out yeah. for the Switch, yeah. you know, and I think we talked about, like, oh, getting two, you know, one to play and one to keep sealed and just stashed away. Like, I feel like a lot of people probably have that strategy. So not, so, you know, when it comes down the line, like, you know, there's going to be a ton of supply, but, but I mean, I guess, what are your thoughts in general on like investing quote unquote in like these newer modern games? Yeah, I think definitely you'll see your return a lot farther down the road. But mm -hmm. there is something to be said about it being sort of like one of the last waves of physical games. Because, I mean, you walk into a current big box store or whatever you want to call it, retailer now, like Target or Walmart, and there are mm -hmm. way fewer games on the shelves than there were two years ago. That's years true. Ago. And mm. a lot of it is turning into like gift cards, right? Like you see those yeah. cards. And so you're sort of seeing an era start to fade away. So there, it's sort of twofold, right? So you just, you know, there's maybe not a huge return on your investment right away, but mm -hmm. you're also getting sort of like the last of physical hardware. Because I can't imagine in two generations there being a console that has physical hardware as its prim primary. I'm sorry, physical game hardware as its as its forefront, <laughs> you know, way of selling games. I think, mm -hmm. I think it's, we are not far off, definitely in our lifetime, but I want to say a couple generations, we're, we're a couple generations away from, you know, a Nintendo console that is primarily just DLC downloadable content. Mm. That's, I mean, you know, I didn't think about that, but that's a really good point. Even thinking about the PS5, you know, the cheaper version is the one without the CD like mm -hmm. the loader the whatever you would call that like it's all digital it's all digital gaming which man that's really interesting i mean that'll be you know what i think you probably are right on the generational part of it too you know we maybe only have two or three generations left of where we'll have physical games Man, I don't know what happens when we get to that point. That'll be that'll be really interesting. But like, you know, I guess I guess when it comes to so so what you're saying is is that even though there's a shit ton, there there could still be some value in that sense. This is one of the last iterations of these of these modern games. Do you think that like uh do you think that any game that we keep sealed that's from this modern era so i guess maybe when i say modern maybe ps3 and up like mm -hmm. those generations of games are or yeah. consoles and up do you think that like they could really i guess maybe every i think i'm answering my own question because when i think about it from a pokemon sets perspective like you could see it in the same way like every set slash every console has their own nostalgia because they had the kids that grew up with those or they had yeah. the youngins that enjoyed 
you know, that console, right? So, so I, I guess maybe, and so for what we're seeing, at least in Pokemon, you know, all of a sudden, like the very first sets that came out in English were growing like huge. And then those early generational sets were growing like huge. And then now we're starting to see other sets that aren't as old, but still a little old that are starting to, you know, kind of go up in terms of like the speed and the volume that they're being sold at. So it's really interesting to see that. I wonder if we might see something similar with gaming Um, or, or, you know, does it follow an age pattern? Does it not? Because like, you know, kids who were young and enjoyed a thing, like then when they all of a sudden have money, you know, that's kind of when we start to see things be bought. So, yeah, yeah, definitely. And I think as long as, as long as the characters that are really beloved, maintain their look and their aesthetic you, mm-hmm. you see that carry over so like um you know mario hasn't really changed since you know you know the the very early iterations of mario definitely he didn't look as much mario as he does now um, mm-hmm. but that's why kids can play the n64 version of mario kart if they're familiar with the switch version because mm-hmm. He looks the same. He just looks a little bit different in a little bit different world. But you know, kids almost will embrace it as you know simplicity rather than you know a, a lack of technology or you know as as a derivative thing. Um, right. So definitely, generational stuff plays into it. I mean, I I love so here here in Rochester we have a like a toy museum that's like really big. It's called the National Museum of Play, and they have. They're home to the World Hall of Fame of video games. Really? So, yeah, it's it's cool. It's a whole huge floor, and there's so much stuff there, and um, you know, a lot of interactive stuff. And I remember being in there a few years ago and seeing a dad play a Mario, like it was a game being projected, and like the, his kid was like had to be like five or four years old, like super young. <laughs> And you just see it. You like see like there's a guy who grew up with Mario and his son who has, is growing up in, in the continuation of Mario. And, you know, they're here in this place and they're enjoying it together in this cool way. Like that that stuff is definitely video gaming's bread and butter and definitely Nintendo's bread and butter. But you see it with now with the Sonic movies. Like Sonic did really well in the in the younger age group that you know the new sonic movie did it just did great with kids and you know sonic started with you know people our age um Mm -hmm. and there hasn't been a big sonic presence in gaming as much as mario has been lately um and i think that's why we saw a movie um but obviously it did its job in keeping the current generation or the youngest generation um attached to it and uh, so I, I think that that's a huge factor. And I think that will be played out like heavily. I, I do not see an end in sight for either of the franchises. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Because, I mean, like the, the, the companies that are heading them, there's so many different ways, like what we were talking about with media and how it can be consumed in so many different ways. Like, yeah, I, I agree with you. It, it, it can't really die unless they do something dramatically silly i guess but (laughs) yeah but you know when you talk about video game movies uh and you talk about mario i think about the mario video game 
or you know movie remember that yeah. with um Luis Guizano and um god what's his name i can't even think of their names but like god that was such a terrible trash movie but it was great <laughs> it's great now cuz it's like a terrible good film yeah. you know isn't it funny that that was sort of like the Achilles heel of Nintendo was like they couldn't do movies or TV that well. <laughs> whereas whereas Sonic transcended into those into that that field really. Yeah. Well. Like I mean the cartoons were okay but like you know the the comic books for Sonic were incredible. I used to love reading those in the 90s or early 2000s. Nice. Um, yeah. And then obviously like Sonic X, and then the newest uh, is it Sonic Boom? I think is the new kids show that has been doing really well. Um, yeah, there, it's it's funny how that <laughs> how, how that's kind of <laughs> like played out like in in Sega's favor. Like <laughs> that, that's one thing that they can say they beat <laughs> Nintendo. Yeah, <on>. seriously, that's <laughs> is, so funny. You know, TV. I mean, they can make another stab at it. I'd go and see it. You know. Oh, absolutely. Like, I go see it. So <laughs> I totally went and saw the Sonic movie because I was like, I don't care if it's good. I just know I, I have to see this. Like <laughs> that's my Did whole you movie. like it? I you know, I did for what it was. Like it wasn't uh-huh. like, oh, I can't wait till this comes out on DVD. I'm gonna buy it on DVD because those are dying too. Like <laughs> uh-huh. it wasn't it wasn't something like that, but it was um it was something that was like, I'm glad I saw it. I'm glad, you know, it was funny to see um <laughs> yeah just like like the the whole um like character rendering controversy like before that yeah i was gonna bring that up (laughs) which which i feel i heard this on podcasts and it made me reconsider i was like yeah i think maybe that could have been intentional like huh talk about all the commotion that raised and there were people who weren't even into gaming talking about that and was like look how ridiculous this character is look how awful this looks and mm-hmm. then what do you know they fix it and then people are like well we got to see it now like we saw how bad it was previously mm-hmm. and i mean to do that too i mean obviously it was right before the pandemic really took root but like it was like the movie of the year <laughs> you know like <laughs> that's so funny it's just it's just wild to me i i wouldn't be surprised if it was a little bit of a marketing ploy or at least that they handled it like one <laughs> and sort of like took the, took that punch and rolled with it and and you know that and maybe they just needed to do like one big test to see how people would take it because like that's pretty critical right like it, everything is gonna die if sonic looks dumb so let's get some <laughs> honest feedback yeah oh they got it (laughs) you know the internet will tell you how it feels yeah trust (laughs) yeah i heard i heard in the last in the last podcast you did that you were you were a cartoon person yeah yeah like i do so i i feel dumb you know because because like i'm an adult and i watch cartoons like i'll put on Korra or I'll put on like you know Avatar Last Airbender or I'll put on like anime and I'm watching like cartoons that I enjoyed when I was younger it's so silly but but I I feel weird about it sometimes like to to admit it to people that I guess older generations because you know they judge 
you yeah. know they judge it's like why are you watching this cartoon this is for children i'm like no but there's a lot of good lessons yes no i do the same exact thing I, i'm yeah. a big cartoon network nerd um hell yeah my favorite samurai joke. jack oh yeah there's so much good stuff i i really like sort of that like i, I almost want to call it like i don't want to call it grungy because that doesn't really it doesn't really label it well i'm talking about shows like clarence regular show um where they kind of yeah. live in these like sort of like rundown communities and i feel like it's sort of like the opposite of what we saw like in the 90s where like every like environment where where the characters lived was really polished and really clean and really ideal and like you mm -hmm. see like especially in like clarence like it's clear that they live in like a very blue collar town like there's garbage like everywhere but he's like a kid living his life like any other kid on any other show and like i mm -hmm. love that cartoon network pays that attention to detail mm -hmm. um and so like that oh apple and onion that's a new show on cartoon network that i think is absolutely incredible and i've not I heard of it let me see it's, it's hilarious it's hilarious um, uh-huh so I, I, I'm also working my way through um, Hey Arnold right now. I'm watching. Oh, um, classic. I'm watching all the Hey Arnold episodes on Hulu. I'm like, I got to do this. I just. Oh, you got to. Getting off the bus and watching Hey Arnold. So I'm going back down memory lane with that. But yeah, like people talk about the newest shows on Netflix. And like, I'm like, yeah, like I, I watch cartoons and 90s sitcoms like that's, <laughs> that's that's where it goes for me that's that's so funny i you know i'm glad that you say that because like uh with regular show um you know i i don't watch it religiously but it is funny i do enjoy yeah. it i like it I, and and i i can't really tell you why but i guess maybe a little bit reminds me of like the art reminds me of Rocco's Modern Life. And yeah. um, what's the other one? Monsters? Ah, uh, uh, Real Monsters. Yeah. Ah, Real Monsters. That's what it was. It kind of reminds me of that. And, and you know, yeah. what's funny is like revisiting those shows as an adult is like Rocco. I, it's been a long time since I've seen that show, but I, I could have swore someone was talking about it and how pretty much like Rocco is like a sex line person do you know what i'm saying like like there's like a lot of adult content there is that you know yeah. just goes over the radar as a kid and and then right. you're an adult and you're like i should not have been watching this why was yeah. i watching this you know yes. oh 100 percent rocco was one of those ones that definitely slipped through the cracks <laughs> seriously like 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 there was all like these like themes of suicide and like depression and things like that and it's yeah. like wow you know this this was a little heavy for kids but like i don't remember taking in any of that information at all i was just innocent i guess <laughs> right i mean that was yeah. definitely like nickelodeon being at like that point where they needed to really just get a lot of content because they were given a network and they were like man we need to be a network full of cartoons like how do we <laughs> How do we do this? How do we just, keep like, it interesting? Looney Tunes, <laughs> you know? God, I know, right? You know, and, when you were, oh, I'm sorry, continue. <laughs> yeah, so like, yeah, basically it's like, yeah, like, <laughs> how do we fill all this content? Well, we give these really 
you know, interesting people <laughs> these shows and kind of, I mean, it was kind of like the wild, 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 wild west of animation at that time, really, mm -hmm. if you think about it. You know, like, I, I, I have to agree with you. I loved Cartoon Network. And I think it was a Nickelodeon. Sometimes I get them confused. Like, I mix them up because they were just the same to me. Mm -hmm. But as a kid, I think it was Cartoon Network that had Toonami. And, yeah. and you could watch, like, uh, what was it? Space Goes Coast to Coast. Yeah. And, like, all of those shows that came out at that time. So you were, you were a Toonami fan? You watched it, too? So I watched Space Ghost when I could. Um, mm -hmm. And I always would see the ads for Toonami. And I always, mm -hmm. always would be like, wow, like, that's, like, another dimension. Like, I always thought of it as, like, oh, because it's late at night and it runs all night. And like they'd be mm -hmm. listening, like, oh yeah, now at 3 a.m. we're playing this, at 4 a.m. we're playing this. And like back in the late 90s, I couldn't even fathom being awake <laughs> at that hour. So that uh -huh. was always like so cool to me and just like so like like wow, what a what an experience. <laughs> you know, it's so funny because like for kids that grew up in the 90s, like us, you know, Adult Swim was like such a great like little place for us that really was not meant for us but we were still there <laughs> you know like uh what was it celebrity death match i remember that um god all those great shows um i'm trying to think of what some other good ones that i really liked from that from back then like aqua team hunger force like did you ever watch that show no that was one show that kind of got away from me it wasn't one i ever really dug into mm -hmm. Oh, gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. But I mean, like, you know, all those others, like the, the Brack show, right? That was the Space Ghost, Coast to Coast guy. That was like the offshoot or whatever. And I remember actually a lot of people, uh, when they tell me, like, I, I don't know if you're into anime, but when people tell me that they they watch anime, usually they got introduced to anime from like Toonami and like Adult Swim and all the cool stuff that they're doing. Cause it was really cool. It was like a cool merging of like a lot of different cultures, which I really liked. I know. I thought, I thought it was really cool as a kid. I don't think I could appreciate it truly until like my adult age when I could watch like Harvey Birdman again and like Frisky Dingo and all like the stupid shit like they were doing in those shows. Like, <laughs> <laughs> holy crap but but honestly like i love that shows like like a like i know that there's like the shows like the cartoons for kids right so like i like the shira one that's out on netflix you know all the ones from the 90s and and like there's some some really you know really great other ones like regular show that's good that's not that's for i guess teenagers right maybe yeah. but but like the shows for adults, like the cartoons for adults, there's some generations that just don't understand why like we would watch that, like the Mike Tyson mysteries. I haven't seen too much of that, yeah, um, but that. like whenever I catch it, it's just like funny and silly and stupid. Or like the other show, Harley Quinn, that's out on HBO that is that looks like the bat. It reminds me of like the Batman show from when we were kids right when we would watch it yeah. but it's completely adult they curse like mm -hmm. you know adult themes all of that i don't know it's just fun i i love cartoons um yeah. i don't know shit I'm, about animation but it's great yeah yeah i'm i'm definitely like a big bob's burgers fan yes <laughs> um, i think i just like sort of people in mundane situations and just you know working people that just have hilarious 
animated lives. <laughs> like, you know, I mean, that's, that's, I think why the Simpsons have, has lasted so long. Yeah. They're just, you know, like there's nothing, you know, otherworldly about them other than they're incredibly normal <laughs> and just seriously you know, they're just swimming in mediocrity you know um and then you know i i i'm not a huge i i think anime is beautiful i don't know a whole lot about it and it's just a whole mm-hmm. world that i like i just don't have the time to dive in full, fully on but i definitely like sort of that mecha robots like outer space like i definitely jam on that i watched an old an older anime it was like a four-part show that like you can watch as a movie called dalos um i watched that and was really i was gonna say what does connor have you watching like (laughs) oh i can't i can't keep up with 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 him (laughs) he he's watched a few that i that i haven't watched either dallas is that um oh you know it's a science fiction one i really like those old school science fiction ones like those dystopian uh ones like akira i don't know if you've seen that one or like ghost in the shell but those retro ones are really cool. I definitely, yeah, I'm definitely familiar. I haven't watched them, but I definitely know about them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Well, that that's cool. That's like a whole world in itself, and like, it is. yeah, it, and and like the reason why I kind of got into it, I can't even remember the first show I watched, but I just remember like a few years ago being like, you know, the shit that's coming out lately really sucks. Like, it's just not good. Like, like just to me, in my opinion, like I was over all the tropes. And and so like anime was really cool because like I could watch something and it was different and I could figure it out. And there were new tropes and new things. And I'm like, oh, my God, this stuff is actually really funny. Like mm-hmm. the comedy ones are really funny, um, like like genuinely crack me up. Um, but yeah, if if you ever just don't have anything to watch, like then that's I would say that's what I would say is get into anime because then you could watch like one, like a show that's already done, like mm-hmm. Full Metal yeah. Alchemist, which is really good, or like Death Note. Those are fun, those are great. But mm-hmm. yeah, I could talk about that forever, and I haven't even like I wouldn't even call myself like like hardcore. Like there's so many that I haven't seen. So yeah, but. But yeah, you know, I just noticed that we went for two hours. This is this is like so it is eleven o'clock right now. Holy crap. Um Rock time on. flew by. Yeah. yeah, I was gonna say, like, I wanna be respectful of your time. I don't wanna keep you for too much longer because you know it's it's late at this point. So I guess what I wanted to do is I wanted to give you the chance to, you know, let us know where we can find you on the internet. Um yeah. and if you have any parting words uh, you know, for the audience that you wanna let them yeah. know about video games or whatever totally could be whatever totally. so my my page on uh instagram is solid tech retro and sort of the whole goal of that page is to take sort of pieces of retro gaming whether they're original pieces or or new licensed stuff we didn't really even tap into that but that's a huge thing right now is things being relicensed and just you know rebuilt in different ways and just taking all that stuff, obviously taking photos of it, but kind of presenting it in sort of a more curated style and staging the images and kind of 
being like, I guess, kind of like a little museum in a way um, where it's not just sort of just, you know, games on a, on a bed sheet or something. It's, you know, know, (laughs) those are my favorite though. Yeah. (laughs) Hey, it's totally cool to show what you got from the store and just throw it on the, throw it on the floor and take a shot. I, I love those too. Um, Uh Definitely. When I, when I made the page, I wanted to make something that was, you know, aesthetically charged. And so that's what we do at Solid Talk Retro and um, uh, something that's kind of um, in the works right now is we're, we meaning me, (laughs) we're going to do a, um, like a web store where you can get um, stuff that is, you know, has the the artwork or the photos, you know, on a t-shirt, mug, on, you know, stuff that you use every day, as well as um, some pixel art stuff that I've that I've created too, that I'm starting to bring over to the page. Um, that have that has been getting a cool response. So hell yeah, um, I love pixel be, art. Yeah, there's gonna be uh, there's gonna be a web store uh, within a few months, so you can keep a keep an eye out for that. But I love talking to people too on on Instagram. It's always been a cool. Um, it's always just, it's just been cool connecting with people who like all over the world that, that have nostalgic ties to you know playing games and pixelated worlds when they were kids so um yeah at solid tech retro and uh i look forward to seeing anyone over there awesome cool i'm gonna put when this episode when this podcast episode comes out which probably be in a few weeks i'll make sure to put links to your social media on there so everyone can follow you and like i would love to have a part two if you want to talk about the relicensing because you're right we didn't talk about that at all and that's a whole 100 i would love yeah. to do that Okay, cool. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate you being on today and giving me your Saturday evening. So, um, shoot, other than that, like, I'll keep in touch when uh, the episode comes out and when we can get you on for a new one, probably like in June, I'm thinking. So, depending on how your schedule is, too. So, but, I'd love to do that. Thank you, Yeah, awesome. Thank you so much.